What's up? How you guys doing? I got to admit, when I came up, I was really excited. I see the Coles are in the house. I see families. I see people who are back. I'm just so excited. As you guys know, I already naturally get excited because DNA series is my favorite series every, each and every year. Each and every year, I get a chance to come up and to reaffirm what God has placed and how God has significantly shaped this church. And, um, and, it's, and it's a time to give a clear aims, clear destination, clear understanding of both who we are as a church, what we believe. And so it's just always one of those moments that I just really get excited because like um, Mitchell said at the very beginning, you know, if you are a first time guest or if you have been considering um, Blueprint Church, this is the best series every year to know exactly both who we are and, and you know, because we pull back the curtains and we get a chance to just to, to explain and to share, you know, throughout. And so before we jump in, I do want to thank you guys for those of you who were here, um, was it last week? You know, last week when we got a chance and opportunity to pray for our teachers and pray for our administrators and, um, and pray for our students, as um, for many people in APS, we got a chance and opportunity to just pray as we started school. For those who are starting schools, we want to continue to pray for, we want to pray for the families and, you know, as we kind of go into this new school year. But um, one of the things that we talked about was last week that we got a t- an opportunity to start something back that COVID kept us the last couple of years, and there's a thing called day one. And um, we've been doing it for approximately about seven years now, minus the last two years, and we had that opportunity to do it, and God really blessed it. And so I really want to thank you guys. Um, for those of you who don't know, day one is an opportunity for us um, here in the Fourth Ward. We, we um, you know, the group of us, the staff, the city groups, we, a couple of city groups, we go over, and um, we really just, um, we stand in lines, and you can kind of see, and then I'm, um, and as kids are coming in, we announce every name of every kid that comes in, and we celebrate every name of every kid that goes in and just talking about, like, it's day one at Hope Hill. God has really blessed it so much that when they heard that we were doing it again this year, all the superintendent of the school, news outlets, everybody has came out to see what, what we've been doing. And it's through... Amen. It's through your prayers. It's through just the faithfulness of just going in and just seeing the students come in and also terrifying some of the kids as they were walking through. It's just amazing to see. But just really, hopefully it's a gospel reminder. It's a reminder that God sees them, right? And God, you know, and God knows their name. Right, and so every kid that goes in, we get a chance to do it. And it's through your prayers and through, um, you know, that, that we get the opportunity, you know, to do that and to represent Blueprint Church. And so we're just really excited for you and excited for the prayers. Honestly, last week um, for me was really a week that was really helpful. It was one of those weeks that allowed me to kind of get my footings, my footings back in and just kind of like, oh, man, just we're back, you know, just being back. You know, I'm not saying COVID is over, so don't email me and all that. Like, but, but it is, but just really to say, like, like we're here, like, you know, because we've all been impacted, right, over these last few years. It's been hard on all of us. It's been hard, but just to, to kind of get back in and to be able to bless, be a blessing, you know, for the school and the principal, and it's just been really, you know, really exciting for me. And, you know, and, and between last week and between this week, just the opportunity for us to just kind of come back, 
you know, and to talk about our DNA, I think there's no better series to kick off kind of like the fact that like we're back, we're, we're ready, you know, because the work that we're doing is essential. And, um, and this is really important for us, you know, to do that. And so we're going to be kicking off our series, you know, and one of our goals in our series is that we want you to know who we are. We want you to internalize who we are as a church. And so it's not just about memory and memorizing, but it's also knowing. So when you came in, you got our, um, you know, our aims on a piece of paper, but even, and we said it earlier, you'll hear it almost every week over these next four weeks of just who we are. You'll keep, you'll constantly hear it. You see it on all, on the pictures on the side, our aims of just kind of like as a church, our desire is for you to demonstrate these characteristics. Part of it is because we believe that disciple making is not a ministry of the church, but it is the ministry of the church. And when Jesus calls his first disciples, he was very clear about the destination in which he was taking them. In Matthew chapter 4, 17, he says, um, or 4, 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so and we recognize that in this invitation into relationship, there was a challenge to change. And ultimately, what we're saying is that if you, whether you are a guest or whether you are a friend or whether you are a family, we're saying that a call to membership, a call to being a family of Blueprint Church, a call to membership is a call to discipleship. And if you're coming, our goal is that we want you to be a gospel-centered believer. We want you to be a responsible sibling. We want you to be an indigenous disciple maker, and we want you to be a generous steward. That is our aim for you. That is our goal for you, right? And my prayer is that not we would this be something that we would say, it would be lip service, but we will be able to both internalize that and we will become what God, I believe that God has called each and every one of, the, one of, us, one of us to be. Because these are just not like catchy phrases. This is really what we're talking about. We really believe that this is about cultivating relationships, right? Because if you have recognized that a gospel-centered believer is about, you know, our relationship with God, that a responsible sibling is about our relationship with other family members that are in the body of Christ. Uh, an indigenous disciple-maker is about our relationship with our neighbors, right? And a generous steward is about cultivating those other three relationships. So when we talk about the church and we talk about, and you hear phrases that Christianity is not about a religion, but it's relationships, that it's a relationship with God, relationship with other believers, and it's relationship with our neighbors. And then that what God has called you and I is to cultivate all of our time, all of our talent, and all of our resources to cultivating those four relationships. And that when we spend time with the Lord, with the scriptures, when we come to church, when we do these things, these, we don't do these things so that we'll say it's like a checkbox and say, okay, God, we're good. We kind of got your side. No, we do these things as reminders to remind us that, God, not just the first day of the week is yours, the reason why we come on Sunday, but this whole week is yours. And so I remind myself each and every week that I want to live for you this week. I want to steward my time for you this week. I want my, my resources, I, that when we give of our resources to the church, when we give our time, when we, when we volunteer, we're not just saying that so that we can say, all right, I've done my duty, I'm good. But the reason why we do it is that we remind God that I do these as gospel reminders that my time on my job is yours. My time with my family is yours. 
My time with my siblings, my time, all the time is yours. And so we remind ourselves that we discipline ourselves. And so when we talk about kind of these, this is not just about whether you ever make yourself a member or a family member here at Blueprint Church or you go to any church, that these are the same aims for every church. These are the same aims that God has called you and I to be as believers in Jesus Christ. Were we always doing perfectly? No. But we're still going because we're committed. And last week when Trent talked about this, he talked about like this idea of pursuing righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That concept of hungering and thirsting, meaning it's a desire, it's an aim, it's what we're doing. And that word righteousness means right relationship. And so what the Bible is telling us is that we are to be in right relationship with him, right relationship with other believers, and right relationship with our neighbors. And so this, these are the aims. These are the goals. And so we get the opportunity to do it. This, this um, week or <laughs> the next four weeks, we're going to do it a little bit of different. We're not going to just teach through the aims explicitly because we're going to talk, you know, we're going to answer five, five critical questions. We're going to answer five critical questions. And these critical questions is kind of coming around the idea of what it means to be a gospel-centered believer. Because when we talk about being a gospel-centered believer, we talk about the gospel reshapes our identity, where we live, where we we live, where we work, and where we play. That everything. But as the gospel reshapes our identity, it reshapes it both individually, but it also shapes it collectively. So both you, for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, it shapes you as an individual— but it also shapes the we as a collective. That when you get saved, you don't just get saved, you know, to have a relationship with God. You get saved and that that cultivates your relationship with one another as well. And oftentimes when we think about that, we we only focus on our individual relationship with God, but God called you into a family, right? He called you into a family. And so we want to talk about the ecclesia. We want to talk about the local church, And so what does that look like? And so over the next five or four weeks, we're going to answer five questions. Today, we're going to answer two of the questions. And so if you're keeping notes, basically, here's the five questions. Number one is, what is the church? What is the church? The second one is, why does the church exist? Why do we exist? The third one is, what is the identity of the church? What should we be known for? Then we want to get into the fourth question is, how do we protect her identity? How do we protect her identity? And then finally, we want to ask the question is, how do we put her identity on display, right? And so over these next four weeks, we're going to be answering those five questions and really hoping for us to get a better understanding of our collective identity, our collective identity as a church, right? And so let me pray and then we're, the way we're going to do it is that I'm going to give it, it's going to be short understanding, kind of a talk around one of those questions. And then we're going to bring up one of our leaders and family members up here each and every week. And we're going to have a conversation around it. And then ultimately each and every Sunday, we'll give an opportunity for you to come, opportunities to come in and join to join in. And each week we'll have Kenny in the back, back where the encounter booth is, that, you know, that you will get a chance to encounter us, encounter us as a family. So whether you're a guest, you're a friend or a family, we want to give, we want to cut out any reason of why you may not know how to get involved, how to get connected. 
you know, over these next few weeks. So let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come before you, Lord. We pray once again, Lord, as there for our administrators, for our staff, for our teachers, for our families, for our students, Father, who now have entered in um, a week of school. And even for those who may be starting school, we pray, Father, for our university students who are about to come in over the next couple of weeks. We pray as they um, prepare, Lord, we pray, Father God, that you would help to mobilize us to go. Father, we pray, Lord, for blueprint. We pray for, <coughs> we pray for blueprints families. Father, we pray, God, that we would not only be able to recall these aims or these identities, Father, but we will be able to embrace them. Father, I pray, Lord, for this series, that I pray that it would be more than a series. I pray that it would get deep into our hearts and deep into our souls, and it would help us to illuminate, Father, the Scriptures in a way that honors you. Father, ultimately, Lord, I pray against the status quo. Help us, Father, to strive for more, to hunger for more, to thirst for more. Father, your will be done. Your will be done be done. Father, forgive us of any of our sins, any of our shortcomings, any of our transgressions. And Father, we'll do our best to give you the praise, the honor, the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter, thir- chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. <coughs> Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. Right? Each and every year, we take this series seriously we, because it's a, it's a chance for us to revisit who we are as a church. It's a chance for us to rehearse our DNA, but it also gives us a chance to, um, an, op- op- an opportunity to differentiate between what's essential and what's convenient. Right? Throughout the year, it's real easy to begin to start you know, focusing in on different areas and different things. You know, each and every year, this, this idea of differentiating between what's essential and what's convenient comes to my mind and my heart, partly because um, uh, about 21 years ago, 11 days after 9-11, my wife and I got married. So every September, we, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we think about some of that 9-11 and just like, and how that just has changed so much of the world. But if you remember 9-11, during that time, the airport industries had a, a, a serious question that they had to wrestle with. Because if you remember pre-9-11, it was just kind of like, you can drop your loved ones. You can almost kind of go in and tuck them into their chair before you kind of sit them off to the airport, right, into their, to their destination. But now when you fly, like when you're going through Hartsville, it's like, you don't, you can barely even stop. Right? They're just like, keep it going, keep it going. And they, and they create, because what the airlines had to do because of what happened in 9-11, they had to start differentiating between what's essential and what's convenient. And I think what happened over these last few years, COVID has forced us as the church, forced us as believers to differentiate between what's convenient and what's essential. And see, the reality is this, if you're like me, that, you know, in, this, in hard seasons, in hard times, what ends up happening is that you begin to wrestle. You begin to wrestle in your life. It's like, what's essential and what's convenient? And what's sad and what grieves me in this time is that I know that I have, and I know that you probably have, and I know that I have, and I know that you probably have wrestled with friends or with loved ones or even personally of beginning to ask the question, is the church essential? 
is the stuff that we do, right? Of course, we would say that our relationship with Jesus Christ, that's essential. But do I have to go to church? Do I have to attend church? Do I have to be a part of the family in the way that we have traditionally wrestled with in order to walk with Christ, right? And if we're honest, if we're honest, God's church is being cross-examined by the world right now is being cross-examined by believers. And many people who are wrestling with this question are coming to the conclusion that God's church is not essential. And so we want to answer that question over these few weeks. Is God's church essential? And this is where we pick up right here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, we're going to answer this question. What is the local church? 5, 13 through 16 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if you read this passage, and if you've been with us for the first few um, weeks, we started off when we talked about a roadmap to repentance. And we define repentance simply, you know, when Jesus said, when he came in, he says, um, Jesus began from that time in Matthew 4, 17, he began to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he talked about this idea of repentance. And we basically have been arguing that the repentant life, that the Christian life is marked by repentance. And what it means to repent, it just simply means to, to confess. It means to change the way we see God and the way we see ourselves. And it's to cling, that we cling to Jesus, right? And then last week, we got a chance to look at what does that look like? What does confession and changing and clinging look like to Jesus? And we laid out the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes says what that looks like is that we're poor in spirit, that we, we mourn, that we, um, that we embrace our sobriety, that we hunger for righteousness. And, and Trenton did an awesome job of giving us the roadmap of what that looks like. And so after this, after Jesus kind of sets this up, he comes in, and you may be asking the question, well, Heidi, I don't see the word church anywhere in this. But if you read again, what you will find is that Jesus declaring the identity of his people. Right at the very beginning in 513, where he starts off with the word, you are. You are. You see, the reason why right there, anytime when you see in the scriptures, when Jesus is talking to his people, he says, when he says that you are, that word, the word you is not in the first person singular, but it's in the second person plural. He is talking to a group of people. He is talking to the believers. He says, you are, and these are identity statements. It's the second person plural that we see that Jesus. So the question becomes is that as we are kind of moving in and as we start talking about the necessity of the church and answering the question, what is the church? We're going to simply ask Jesus to come to the stand today. We're going to ask the Bible to come to the stand today. Because when we talk about church, church oftentimes for you and I is kind of an embedded theology. 
Is it something that, you know, is something that we kind of, we define the church by our church experience, right? But when we talk about the church, the question becomes is that do we ever ask God what he wants in the church? We go to church, we join churches, we leave churches, right? But have we ever asked the Lord what is the church? And I really think it's really important for us to understand that Christ did not leave this thing for us to just to figure out. But he was really clear. He was really clear. Let me just kind of first start off with the word, the idea of um, the church. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia, which simply means, it's a, it's, a, it's a transfigured word that comes together, but basically means ek, which means out. Klesia means to call. Really what the word church is, to call out. It's to call out. It's a congregation. It's to call out a people for a specific purpose or for a specific reasons. Throughout your New Testament, you will see the word ecclesia mentioned 114 times. 114 times. But that word ecclesia was not just limited to kind of believers. It was a word that was used to, um, even beyond just simply the Christian church, right? The word ecclesia, out of the 114 times, five out of the um, five out of the 114 was talking about just a congregation. So if you looked at the book of Ephesians, where it says a crowd gathered to riot, that's the same Greek word ecclesia that they gathered, they congregated for the purpose of rioting. So you see that. So that leaves 109 times out of the 114, the word ecclesia is mentioned that it is referring to the Christian church. But it's also important for us to understand in the Bible that when it talks about the Christian church, because oftentimes we, you know, we have different understandings about the church. It's like, well, I'm the church, we the church, you know, and just we have when we go from all different types of extremes. But the, you know, when the Bible talks about church, out of the 109 times that the Bible is referring to the Christian church with the word ecclesia, 102 of the 109 times, it's referring, referring to the local church. It's referring to a local ecclesia, a local gathering, right? And so what we got to understand that I really believe when the Bible talks about the church is that it understands the principle that we talk about all the time, that a call to everyone is a call to no one. But the, the idea of understanding the church is to the church of Ephesus or to the church in a specific place, in a specific location because it's, it's a place where you are able to walk out your salvation with other individuals. And so here Jesus comes in, and he basically, even though you don't see the word ecclesia, you see in here it says, you are the salt of the earth. And when you see that you are statement, there's three images, three images that, it, that, that, that he brings out in just these four verses to letting us know who we are, who our collective identity, how we are to represent our collective identity. He says, you are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And it's inferred that you are a city on a hill. You see, Jesus, the Bible, wanted us to know what the church is. How do I know that? Because anytime you use word pictures or illustrations, you use these things that say, you may not understand church, but you understand the use of salt. 
You may not understand church, but you understand the use of light. You may not understand church, but you know a city that's situated on a hill, what it's for, right? Right, and so it, it gives us these pictures. And do you know how many word pictures that God uses to describe his church? Over 100. There's over 100 word pictures that he uses to describe his church, right? There's words like the salt of the, salt of the earth, the light of the world. You are the bride of Christ. You are the flock of God. You are the letter. You are an army. You see these over and over and over again that God is using these word pictures to help us understand. Now, every word picture breaks down. It's not meant to totally describe, but it's to give you a vantage point. It's to give you a, a way to see the church that allows us to better understand. It says you are the bride of Christ. And so over and over again, you see this reality. And so in 5, 13 through 16, after he talks about kind of what the, you know, come out of the Beatitudes, he basically gives us these, these hard-hitting statements. You are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And he, and he calls us to embrace who we are, to embrace who we are. You see, Jesus understands and he believes that we must understand our identity of the church before we can start talking about any activity that we do. You see, but too many of us, when we talk about the church, we first talk about what we're supposed to do for the church. Instead of when Jesus starts, he talks about who we are as a church. These metaphors are pictures for us to easily understand and easily interpret. I wish I had the time to go through all 96, but we're not. We're not going to go through all, um, all 96. But what, it, but what I want you to understand um, that if you are in a city group, throughout the time in a city group, that if you're not in a city group, you need to get in a city group because we're going to, throughout this um, next week, we're going to spend some time just looking at some of these metaphors of what is the church, some of these word pictures of what is the church because these metaphors help us to both to establish our identity, our collective identity. It helps us to prioritize our collective responsibilities and they help us to set a path of our activities, right? So ultimately, what am I saying? And this is what I'm saying, is that when, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the collective we, our identity prioritizes our responsibilities. And it's our responsibilities that drives our activities. Our identity prioritizes our responsibilities, but it's our responsibilities that drive our activities. So when we talk about the church, let's not start talking about just the preaching and the things and the stuff that we do, that where we go. Like, let's first start talking about not what we do, but who we are. Because as we walk through these questions of what is the church and why does the church exist, what should we be known for, how do we protect her identity? We protect her identity by knowing the first three, who we are. Because it's when we find out and embrace who we are, it's when we begin to understand what we need to do, right? But we got it reversed. We got it backwards. So well, what I want to do is just, just look at, so just kind of imagine, imagine the 96, we're not going to go through them all, the, the 96 metaphors, salt and light, city on the hill, all the things that's taking place that we see, even the three that we see here. And then when we talk about like as a church, 
And we say that um, the Christianity is not a, about a religion, but it's about relationships. It's about our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers, and our relationship with our neighbors, right? And so what I want you to do is I just want you to imagine, I think we have an image up to kind of talk about this idea, because if, when we go to the question of why does the church exist, no matter what ministry you are involved, campus ministry, um, parachurch ministry, Christian church, like oftentimes it comes down to this up, in, out, gospel, family, mission. Like there's always going to talk about those three primary relationships. So if you just put those three primary relationships up, like, and you had it on like a, a dashboard, right? Relationship with God, relationship with believers, relationship with our neighbors. Then you come back and you use these metaphors and say, why do we exist as a church where he says, that's what the second half of what Jesus ultimately said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, what good is the saltiness, right? And so it gives us an understanding of what these are. And so when we think about in the, in the text, salt, salt of the world. Is that primarily talking about our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers, our relationship with the world? What do you think? The world, right? It talks about how we are to interact with the world. We are the salt of the world, light. We are the light of the world. Does that primarily talk about our relationship with God, with other believers, or with the world? World. We are the light of the world, a city on a hill, right? It talks about a relationship with God. So in, what we're saying is that in each and every one of them that these relationships helps us to understand that I may not totally understand church, but God wants you to know as a church, we ought to interact with the world like light, like salt, like a city on a hill. And it gives us these word pictures for us to understand how we are to relate with the church. But if we talk about the, that the church is the bride of Christ, does that primarily talk about our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers, our relationship with our neighbors? God, right? I may not understand church, but I understand that we ought to relate to God like a bride relates. And then we go to the scriptures in Matthew um, in Ephesians chapter 5 where, where he talks about Christ laid down his life for his bride. That he does it without, that, that he's presenting his bride without spot or without blemish. But then if you go to Revelation chapter 19, it talks about this idea of this pure, this bride with purity. Right? So you see that. You see these realities. Right? When the church is the body of Christ, does that primarily talk about our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers, our relationship with our neighbors? Believers are with God. In Colossians, he says he is the head, we are the body. And we know that the only important, the most important part of any body is the head. You sever the head, you don't have any body. So it talks about how, it's where it's our command central. Right? But then it also talks about the family in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4. It talks about we are one body, interconnected, different joints. And we recognize that in a body, if my thumb has cancer or if a different organ has cancer, does part of the body have cancer? No, the whole body has cancer. Right? You see, part of this is him understanding the collective we 
the identity, and over and over throughout the Bible, he gives us these images that you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be some Bible scholar. You just got to be a student of God's Word, sit at his feet, because he's sharing with us who we are. He's sharing with us how essential it is. So when we talk about this idea of the church, of who we are, what is the church, we can just start off with the, either the 114 times Ecclesia is mentioned. We can start with the over 100 images that he talks about as it relates to the church. And then we can just take that and we can say, Lord, are you primarily teaching me about how, I relate, how we relate to you, how we relate to one another as believers, or how we are supposed to relate to our neighbor? That it's this simple. God wants us to understand that the church is not convenient. It is essential. And he wanted to tell you over and over and over again to the tune of over 100 times, over 200 times, to say that this, the church of God is who he died for. It's who he died for. So what is the church? Why do we exist? We recognize. And he puts us, under, and puts us in better understanding and this is the reason why when 12 years ago when we started Blueprint Church, 12 years ago when we started Blueprint Church, like that was our heart, that was our goal, is that we wanted to be a blueprint. And the definition of a blueprint is a plan or a process that's used as a guide to start something new. So we wanted to be a blueprint, but we also wanted to be a place that, a church that's planting other churches. Because we believe that the gospel is the hope to every man and woman and child. It's the gospel. It's the good news to salvation. And so when we talk about our aims, when we first start that the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world, that we understand that God's primary vehicle to get the gospel is his local ecclesia. It's his church because the local church is a tangible expression of the gospel. It's a tangible expression. And so this is the reason why over the last um, years that we've been able to plant over, over eight churches, we've been a part of planting over 100 churches across all of North America because <clears throat> our goal was that we wanted to be a church that planted another church. We wanted to embrace the beauty, the complexity, the density, the diversity of what it means to be, to cultivate relationships, Christian relationships with God, with believers, with our neighbors. And we wanted to do it in the most dense and diverse, the most beautiful and complex places. We wanted to do it in cities where people don't look like you, talk like you, act like you. We wanted to show the power of God. And the reason why we are all in with church planning, the goal of Blueprint is never to be mega, a mega church, is that we wanted to plant churches because the reality is this. You may drive 40 minutes to come to church, but your non-believing friends are not. And so we wanted to bring a tangible expression to where they live, to where they work, and to where they play. And that's the reason why we believe wholeheartedly in church planting. We want to continue to plant churches. And so what we're going to do in these last 10 minutes, we're going to bring up a couple of pastors here, um, three different churches that we have, um, you got to start coming up. And the, these um, churches, one is a church plant that we're gonna be doing. Brian, come this way on this side and grab a chair and a mic. Um, three um, places that we have churches. We have um, a church in Stone Mountain. We are planting a church called You Movement in Marietta. 
Georgia, starting Easter of next year, and then we are also going to be planted, and then we also have this church here that we want to continue. We want to continue to um, grow. We want to continue to, um, you know, be a healthy presence here in the Old Fourth Ward and surrounding communities. And so um, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes with them, and we're going to just allow them the opportunity to share a little bit about who they are, their church, and, um, you know, and just, and then also, you know, at the end, give you guys a, something that you can do to help us bring a tangible expression in the gospel. So why don't we just go real quick, kind of the, the speed dating type, you know, just share a little bit kind of who you are, what church you're representing, you know, and, um, and where, where that is. And so, Brian, start with you. I'm uh, Brian Hand and my wife, uh, Adrian Hand. It, we are in the Stone Mountain location, and I'm, I'm an elder here. I've been here for five, you know, five, five, six years. Right. So you see, and each one is the, the team of people who has been planting in the Stone Mountain area. Um, so we're really excited that about was that. Nice. Show actually gave a good picture. Yes. He showed one where I had hair. It was a little, little less, a uh, little less attractive. All right. So it's the leadership team. Carly? Um, hi, guys. My name is Carly Lundy. Um, is it on? Yeah. Hello? Cool. He's going to keep talking. Just keep there talking. There he goes. Yep. My name is Carly Lundy, and uh, my wife and I, Jessica Lundy in the back here, we just uh, uh, about a month ago relocated from um, uh, Virginia uh, to Blueprint. And I serve along with Dahadi as one of the pastors here. Yeah. And so we're really excited about Carly. This is basically his kind of grand introduction to the world. His wife, Lundy, is out there. So, so really, really, really excited about Carly. He lives here in the neighborhood, overseeing. He will, he basically, he is my pastor. I'm excited to be serving alongside with him. And, um, and, you know, I'm really excited to be getting the chance for you guys to get to meet him and his, his lovely family. So excited. Pastor Lou. Awesome. Uh, name Lucius Rosa IV. My wife is a doula. She's not here. She, we just lost uh, her mother recently, so she's still mourning the loss of my mother-in-law. Um, yeah, I have seven children. One of the pastors here at Blueprint Church and uh, excited to plant a church in Marietta, Georgia. Woo-woo. Marietta, Georgia. And I'm really excited about that. Lou, why don't we start with you? Um, you know, specifically, let's just talk about, like, when we just talk about the metaphors. I mean, some of you guys have heard, you've studied, you looked at the metaphors of the church. What metaphor kind of resonates the most with you and why? Yeah, the metaphor you mentioned today, the city on the hill, uh, that the ecclesia would be a city on the hill. Uh, when you look at the day and time that we're living in, especially... What's sad is that we're in a time when we can be all over the world in one place, which is social media. You can reach the masses, but it seems like during this time we are the most silent as Christians, that our lights are not shining like they should, and most of the time it's us shining versus the whole ecclesia and exalting Christ and the church. So when I think about the metaphor of, of a seat on the hill, it's a reminder that we are to shine. And as we shine, the world will be able to see the good works uh, that we're doing by the Holy Spirit, and they will glorify our Father in heaven. So I feel like just that metaphor pushes us to be unashamed, to be, to be bold, to be open, and to let our light shine for the glory of God. So, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Carly, same question. Yeah. Um, the metaphor that sticks out to me the most is family. The church is, uh, like you said, it's not like a family, but it is a family. And, um, and so I think the picture 
that we see um, throughout the Gospels, and especially in Matthew chapter 9, that illustrates that, uh, is when we see Jesus sitting around a table reclining with all types of people, right? Kind of like you think of the family dinner, like the a family reunion. And just that picture is so powerful because we see around that table where Jesus is eating and, and fellowshipping, reclining, the Bible says, around that table is a whole bunch of messed up people, yeah. right? Um, and, and there's tax collectors, there's sinners, and so the outside world is looking in, and they're like uh, uh, pretty much indicting Jesus, like, why do you sit around these messed up, broken people? And so, um, and one of the things that Jesus said is that, you know, I came for these specific people, the broken people, and not the self-righteous or the um, holier than now, but I came for those who are sick. And so when I think of that, I don't think of a perfect family. I think of a dysfunctional family. So I don't think of like the Winslows or um, the, the Cosbys. I think of the Bundys. You yeah. remember the Bundys? Yeah. Right? So I think of a dysfunctional family that Jesus is proud of, yeah. right? He's proud to claim. Um, and so not the family that when you have, uh, you know, PTA that you're afraid to introduce them to your dad, but it's the, it's the family that God is like, man, these are my children and these are my people, regardless of how dysfunctional they are. Those are the people I came for. So Amen. I think of a dysfunctional family. Amen. A good well, I'm way. glad that's good news because we're definitely not a a perfect family, brother. <laughs> so, yeah, Brian, we're not, we're not going to answer that question. We're going to move on to the next question. Um, Someone might ask the question, man, there's already so many churches everywhere. And most of the churches are not filled. You know, one of the blueprint strategies that we plant churches. Like, why? Why is it important to plant church? I mean, even, you know, in the Stone Mountain area, we've planted and then kind of had to pull back. And now we're replanting and, like, we're trying. And we just see it's important to plant um, church why is it important to plan a church? Yeah, well, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to use that answer to answer the other answer, uh, the other question. Um, I, it's important because, I mean, just even in thinking about my own life, the, the metaphor that stood out was just the idea of a hospital and, and light, and, and to, to the hospital and light. We need churches because we need, I know just thinking about my own life, it seems like if you want to say, like, well, the, the church is a light, um, then that's a beautiful thing, but it it's, it's talked about in the in scripture and specifically in, in Ephesians. It says because there's darkness, we need light because there's there's darkness. And that when you go from light to darkness, it's tragic. If I'm just speaking for my own life, it was the gospel was a wrecking ball. It wasn't a beautiful, comfortable, nice thing. It absolutely undid everything I thought my life was supposed to be about. And I'm planning a church. I'm fighting for a church uh, to be that, to be a hospital where people can come, they can they can heal. And then on the other side of that is, is light. Amen. Brian, the same question, like a different question, but continue. Um, what are some of the successes that you've seen, you know, at Stone Mountain? A lot of times, you know, as people, we don't get a chance to hear about what God is doing. But it's always good sometimes to testify that God is still alive and he's active in his church. And so what are some things that you're seeing, what's celebrating um, over in Stone Mountain area? We're celebrating being very inefficient and being really good at uh, just yeah, not being really, uh, you know, we're not, not finished bodies yet, right? Like we don't look like these two gentlemen up here. Well, wait, 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 hold on. Why you well, say two? Two. I said, you that? know why I said two. Y'all see that? That was like, <laughs> dang. I, I feel some on, type of way. You know why I said two. 
Uh, and we're celebrating that because we, the, the times that we've walked in and we felt like you know, we're, we're doing our best, we're, we're doing things with excellence, um, but we've seen God respond, the Spirit move in people, not because of how things were put together. It wasn't the, the show, it wasn't the performance. They felt the Lord calling them there. And that's been a huge encouragement for us. We've had a lot of examples of that. Amen. Amen. Lucius, like, what do you hope for? Like, what do you hope for as you plant you movement? You guys are planning on launching Easter of next year, right, in the Marietta area. Like, what's yeah. your hope for you movement? Yeah, yeah. Our vision, our vision is to is, is restore communities to reconcile people, right? And as we think about from... Just the last couple of years, from the death of Trayvon Martin all the way through the pandemic, I, mean, I think we all share a certain common weight, and that's trauma. Everybody's been dealing with mental trauma, emotional trauma, which leads to a lot of physical uh, ailments. So what we're looking for in Marietta area is like, yo, how can we be a church that meet the holistic needs of people, meet the mental, the emotional, the, the physical, and the spiritual needs of the people in that community for, in order for them to, to be effective, to be able to be what God called them to be, to be the, the design that God made them to be in that area, in that community, is going to take people who are restored, people who have been healed, people are in a place of peace, and we're really calling on God's shalom to really come to Marietta and just have his way. And not even just Marietta, that it spills out of Marietta throughout Cobb County. And it'd be a great revival of just God moving through that whole area in the great way as we connect with different churches, even locally around connected. So the whole goal is like, how can we bring God shalom to that area for restored uh, communities can come through reconciled people. Amen. So, Amen. Yeah. Um, Carly, this would be the, the final question. Um, and I would love for you to lead us in a time of communion to kind of take this time but like same question like what is your hope as you come into blueprint church as you come into the fourth ward the community to pastor you know what what's your hope for us um i think of matthew chapter 28 and this is the great commission this this is jesus's final command to his disciples his marching orders and then so about five times we see that throughout the gospels Um, But specifically in Matthew chapter 28, one, we hear Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so when I think about that, I think about four things that he says. One, you have authority. And so like here in Atlanta, we have authority to bring change, right? And so, man, the Bible talks about when the church advanced, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we know that for a fact, and that's his promise because we have authority. But then when we think about the Great Commission, which is your command, my command, our marching orders every single day when we leave this, these doors, he calls us to go, right? To go. Uh, meaning, kind of like how you talked about, to penetrate this dark world with the light, right? We go to go reach out to the broken, to the lost. Um, that's one go. But then he says to train up, make disciples, right? That is our responsibility, to train people up, equip believers, edify the saints, to train them up to be disciple makers. Um, so go reach out, train up, but then he says to bring in, right, baptize, and this is what we do. We baptize believer, welcome, welcome them into a community as family. 
um, bringing them in, to care for them, to love on them. But then we send them out, like we change, transform, teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And so we do that by preaching unashamedly the gospel, the authoritative word of God, and because we know this is what brings change. And so when I think about what I hope for our church, like you will be on mission. We pray that you would be on mission. And two, you will see the people around you are the ones that God has called you to. Um, and the responsibility that we have is to train them up. Um, but then the way that we do that is for us to be people who are following God by obeying his word so that we can teach people, kind of like in what 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, be imitators as I imitate Christ so that they can look at you and say, man, I want to be like you. I want to be like the church. I want to be like this family because the family that I see around the world is dysfunctional, but the family of God is the model and example I want to follow. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for, for being with us. Listen, like we said, if you're our guest here, this is the best time. If you're our friend here, this is the best time to be here at Blueprint because we're going to share exactly who we are, what we, are, what we believe, what we're about. And today we was hopeful to answer this primary two questions. What is the church and why do we exist? And these brothers are talking about how we've cultivated that culture. And one of the ways that we've done that is through church planting. Right. We want to see a healthy church plant taking place all across the city of Atlanta. My prayer is that in 15 years from now is that um, everybody at Blueprint Church in the fourth world will be able to walk the churches because we planted churches and we planted gospel communities all across um, metro Atlanta and that we will be able to serve and to focus in on this neighborhood because every um, neighborhood has a Hope Hill. Every neighborhood has a place that we, get, that we have an opportunity to be the salt of the earth the light of the world, you know, and the reason why we exist is to cultivate our relationship with our neighbors, to cultivate our relationship with other believers, and to cultivate our relationship um, with God. And so, like, really the call to action to you is that you, if you live in one of these areas, like, consider joining, being a part of the team that's going to be in Marietta, being a part of the group that's going to be in Stone Mountain. If you are here in the fourth ward, join, come and be a part. Don't just kind of stand on the sidelines, come and jump in, right? You, you, you give your life to something more significant than just, you know, how we're going to make a living each and every day. You know, join the family of God on mission for God, you know, and so next week we have an opportunity for you to join. We're going to have a Sunday um, a new members meeting, interest meeting for anybody who wants to go. You can sign up for that. And if, and if you're, or if you just want to know how to get more connected, Kenny will be in the back right corner at the end, or you can go to the Connect Center, one or the other, and you can do that. And so as we leave, just one, two more things. One, Carly just is going to just, you know, consummate this time by just leading us a time in um, communion. And then finally, we'll just end with a time of worship. And so, brother, if you can just lead us. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.